0: Well, I listen to this music, and I participate in this music, and it leaves me with one word. Wow! Praise the Lord, hey? Can you say hallelujah? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Our music really focused this morning on the Lord Jesus Christ, His death, burial, resurrection, and the hope that we have in Him. And I don't want to lose that... uh, that emphasis this morning. So uh, I say thank you very much. And I just feel led to applause. So if you don't mind applauding with me, the Lord and our music uh, leaders, if you will. Thank you, thank you very much. Also, I wanted to welcome again, uh, formally uh, Deb Cottle, thank you for being with us. I enjoyed that presentation in Sunday School very much. I hope that you will um, visit that table and visit with her during the meal today and uh, make her feel most welcome. Uh, They are doing a a kind of a unique missionary kind of work. Uh, The word that comes to my mind is the word academic. It's quite an academic kind of ministry of... uh, Translation and facilitating, facilitating, I guess is the word. And uh, I think is pretty neat that this church is connected and supportive uh, of Deb and that work. So uh, welcome to, uh, to uh, Calvary Baptist Church today. Glad that you are here. We have not been meditating on Matthew marching through Mark, lunging through Luke, jogging through John, or ambulating through Acts. We have not been roaming through Romans or carousing through the Corinthians or galloping through Galatians, nor have we been easing our way through Ephesians. We've not been philandering our way through Philippians. Uh, We have not been threading our way, no, clambering our way through Colossians nor have we been threading our way through first and second Thessalonians we've not been tiptoeing through first Timothy second Timothy or Titus we have not been filing our way through Philemon we have not hurried our way through uh, Hebrews nor jammed our way through James but we have been pilfering our way through first Peter <laughs> let me catch my breath a minute and uh, I want us to come back to First Peter because uh, we have not finished what he started with us. And our text this morning, as uh, Mark alluded to, is First Peter chapter 3, beginning at verse 18. And he is right in uh, pointing out to you the fact that uh, this is about the only place in the New Testament where someone says, Christ died in order to bring us to God. Uh, Not an emphasis on the price of our sin or redemption or propitiation, et cetera, but the the end product of the cross is to bring us to God, to bring us into a personal uh, relationship with God himself. And so it's a unique uh, kind of a passage here. And I want to take a moment to read this paragraph with you. 1 Peter chapter 3, and actually I'd like to begin at verse 17, which I think will then give us a little bit of a connection into, the, into verse 18 and following. Peter writes, for it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered. So you see the connection there, he's talking about suffering. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous one for the unrighteous ones, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities and powers having been subjected to him. Now I myself am very glad to get back into 1 Peter with you and to remind you just very very succinctly here of the major thought that Peter has been pressing upon us. Uh, He begins by this notion that we are people who belong to God. I hope that sounds somewhat familiar to you. Uh, we are people who belong to God. He was writing to a group of people who didn't seem to belong to anybody. Uh, they were strangers. They were aliens. They were foreigners. They were, they were people who uh, were displaced, people who were on the outside looking in, if you will, to the society. But he assures them... And us, we are people who belong, not just to anybody, but we belong to God. And as I've said earlier already, and as Mark alluded to, uh, we belong to God because of Jesus. We belong to God because of the death, burial, and resurrection and ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are people who belong. Um, And when you belong, Uh, that brings with it certain privileges and certain responsibilities. And Peter begins in his book to remind us, yes, you are people who belong to God and and that very belonging uh, indebts you to fulfill responsibilities and to enjoy some privileges. And we won't go into all of that detail. Uh, That was the first big thought in in his book, we are people who belong to God. Then he moves to, we are pilgrims on a journey. We are pilgrims on a journey. And you get the feeling in in those words that we are actually going somewhere. We're heading for a destination. We are pilgrims passing through this life. And, And this life is not the end. This life is not all that there is. We are pilgrims on a journey, and remember now that a pilgrim in the New Testament is a a temporary resident, a temporary resident, like a college student in a dorm or like an apartment dweller in a building, Uh, you don't own it. You don't quite belong there permanently, but you are a pilgrim who is passing through. And I hope that that uh, is, is a familiar notion to you as well. As people who belong to God, we can find comfort. We belong. We belong to the most important person in the universe. We have a legitimate place where we belong. As pilgrims on a journey, Peter emphasizes the fact that we are to be marked by submission and good works. Uh, We may be pilgrims and we we may be in a sense on the outside looking in, but that that does not excuse us from participating. We We participate as citizens. We participate as employees. We participate in this life as spouses in the home. And in all three cases, we are to be marked by submission and good works. That's kind of a theme that he develops. I speak to you for just a moment about our participation as citizens. Uh, You probably know that there is an election coming up here in the next month, August 8th. And it is an election that has to do not just with the Ohio Constitution, but it has to do with some very important moral values. And because of that, I feel I need to speak to you for just a moment. As a citizen of Ohio and of the United States, I encourage you to vote on August the 8th. And I encourage you to vote yes to protect the moral lives that we value as individuals, as families, as a church. And so I'll not go any further than that, but I did wanna say that to you publicly. Uh, We are citizens of two countries, this one and the heavenly one, and we can exercise our rights in both cases. So Peter says, you are people who belong to God. Don't feel like you're all alone. Don't feel like you're abandoned. Draw comfort from the fact that you belong to God. And then he says, you are citizens, you are pilgrims on a journey. Participate in the life that is around you as citizens, as employees, as spouses in the home. We are to be distinctly different from the culture and the society through which we're passing. That brings us to the third of his uh, big ideas. And uh, we've just kind of got started into that third one when I uh, exited the scene here. And uh, that third is simply that uh, we are, see if I can remember what it is now. We are, uh, I'm I'm coming, there it is. We are partakers of Christ's suffering. We are partakers of Christ's suffering. It actually begins earlier in chapter three, and he develops it a little bit further here. We are partakers of Christ's suffering. Chapter three, verse 18, Christ also suffered once for sins. And when we suffer for Christ, Peter actually will say we are participating, we are partaking of his suffering. Um, When Peter talks about suffering, he is not just talking about the general troubles that we have in this life. All of us have troubles, all of us have trials, all of us have struggles. Uh, That is not what Peter has in mind here. Uh, Rather, he is talking about the struggles that come from persecution. Persecution. The fact that you are identified with Christ in public and somebody is going to make you pay for that persecution. Now in our country, to this point, you and I do not experience a whole lot of that. I noticed in in, in Debbie's uh, presentation this morning that she alluded to that, that there are many places around the world where God's people are persecuted I was uh, reading this week in, in this book, uh, it's called Confronting Injustice uh, by a professor out in uh, California. But He had this paragraph and I, uh, knowing what I was thinking about, I just wanted to share this uh, one paragraph with you. Uh, he asked the question, should we care about the millions of Christians imprisoned or executed around the globe, and he goes on to prove his point. The social justice being narrative often uses a broad brush to paint Christians as the oppressors, the driving force behind the theocracy, racism, Islamophobia, bigotry, exploitation, and the sexism in the world. To many, with the tribe's mindset, it is obvious which side the oppressor, oppressed equation Christian falls on. Yet, according to Newsweek 2018, Christian persecution and genocide is worse now than any time in history. This includes being targeted, imprisoned, beaten, raped, hung, crucified, and bombed for claiming Jesus as Lord. Every month, this this grabs grabs me, every month an average of 345 Christians are killed for faith-related reasons. 105 churches or Christian buildings are burned or attacked, and 219 Christians are detained without trial. Those are, that's stunning, isn't it? In our, in our safe little bubble that we live in, persecution is uh, very real, and it could become to us very personal. And Peter says, I want you to know that when you do suffer as a Christian, you suffer like Christ. Suffer for doing good works, not for doing something wicked. Your suffering should be undeserved, as was Christ's. Your suffering should cause you to bless, not curse, the people who persecute you. There should be no sense of retaliation from you to get even with them, as with Christ. So Christ becomes the model for our own suffering for him. I have a missionary friend who uh, works with a mission agency and his task is to prepare missionaries to live in hostile environments. He uh, teaches them how to be secure, and how to be careful, and what to do and what not to do, uh, and that's his whole that's his whole ministry, traveling to mission uh, places, and teaching missionaries about security. But I like I like what he says, and and I think Peter would agree with him here. He says we we need to have. As God's people, we need to have a theology of suffering. A theology of suffering. We need to know how to suffer, how to respond to suffering, how to respond to people who persecute you, etc., etc. And I agree with you. I can tell by the look on your face. And I know my my own heart says, no, no, I don't want to think about that. I'd rather just be comfortable in my bubble, thank you very much. And don't force me to think outside of that. But uh, the truth is, we must. And and that's what Peter is talking about here in the end of chapter 3 and on into chapter 4. But he says, when you suffer as a Christian for Christ, you suffer as a partaker in Christ's suffering. So I'm going to read that paragraph again, okay? I often do that, just to kind of let it sink, let it soak, let us hear it again. I'll start at verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous one for the unrighteous ones, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Now I've mentioned to you the, the three big ideas that Peter has been, uh, I think the word, pushing upon us, teaching us. We are people who belong to God. We are pilgrims on a journey. We are partakers of Christ's suffering. Uh, but I haven't mentioned to you hardly at all the the sub-theme, kind of a a secondary set of thoughts that are kind of being developed along with the main themes. And and that sub-theme is really very simple. Uh, it, It is this, first suffering, then glory. First suffering, then glory. And you can see this theme Kind of like from chapters one through five, and and I haven't, again, taken the time to point it out to you, but it's it's rather subtle, and and yet it's rather clear. Uh, He's developing this idea of, this this is a a principle of the divine government. Uh, This is how God deals with his children. First suffering, then glory. Now, we're familiar with this sub-theme in in various disciplines. Uh, When you have your lunch today, if you're by your mom or dad, uh, they may say to you, or or this happens around the table, I I want you to eat your peas, and then you can have dessert. First, suffering, (laughs) 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 and then glory. (laughs) I remember when our kids were kids, my, I had, my son David, he, he just could not take vegetables. And so we would say, okay, how old are you? Well, I'm seven. Okay, you've got to eat seven peas, and then you can do dessert. And then it was eight. And you know, you know, you, there's no desire to grow up when you, when you do that. It's a, <laughs> you know. but, but that's just the way it is. It's first suffering, then glory. Uh, you eat your vegetables, and then you can have dessert. In athletics, it's the same thing. No pain, no gain. You know that, don't you? No, no pain, you got to do the exercises and, and, you know, all of that. I won't go into that and make you feel bad. Uh, no pain, no gain. In medicine, it's, it's the same thing. You got to take your pills. You got to swallow that crazy thing. You got to get your sleep in order to have health and energy and strength. So we we understand this thing of suffering and glory. It's true in education. Every student wants to graduate. Glory. (laughs) Whoo-hoo. But we teachers. We make sure they suffer. <laughs> you got to go to class and you, and you got to take a test and not just take it, but pass it, et cetera, et cetera. You, you go through all of this suffering in order to get to glory. Well, what is true in medicine, what is true in food, what is true in education, what is true in athletics is true in the spiritual life. First suffering... Than glory. And our best model for that is Christ, who in his first coming endured the hostility of sinners against himself from day one all the way to the cross. Hostility, suffering, False accusations, etc., etc., until finally he is crucified publicly, executed as a criminal. That was his first coming. But in his second coming, (laughs) glory. And so, who are we to expect that we shall have any different experience than Christ himself? First suffering, then glory. That, that is the sub theme. I just happened to be reading this morning before I left home. In Luke chapter 24, uh, at, after the events of the crucifixion and after he had been raised from the dead and uh, the disciples, uh, disciples were still <laughs> extremely confused about what was going on. And they had heard you know, from the women, oh my, he has been raised from the dead and we saw angels And and they just didn't know who to believe or what to believe. And two of them were walking from Jerusalem to the little village of Emmaus. And along comes this stranger who begins to walk with them there in Luke 24. And to engage them in a conversation. And, And finally he says, Oh fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had said concerning the Christ how that he must suffer these things and enter into his glory. And I thought, yeah, that's exactly what Peter is saying. First suffering, then glory. So remember that as you you think about your life and if you are rebuffed, if you are insulted, if you are demeaned, if you are passed over for some kind of a promotion at work, et cetera, et cetera, all because of your Christian faith and stand. Just remember, okay, this is a principle of the divine government, first suffering, then glory. It reminds me of what the Apostle Paul wrote, and I'm gonna take you there for a minute. Romans uh, chapter eight, if you will, Romans chapter eight. We'll come back to Peter in a minute. But it's just very similar. It's so similar I just couldn't ignore it. Romans 8, verse 18, another verse 18. Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Please notice those two words, suffering and glory. Uh, There is an old Christian hymn that talks about it. Again, I'll not sing it or even try to quote it all. But you know it when that song says, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small. When we see him. One glimpse of his dear face. All sorrow will erase. So bravely run the race. Till we see Christ. For suffering. Then glory. Now back to first Peter. I can hear some of you saying. But, but wait a minute. Brother Warren. You, you have taken the first sentence of verse 18 and you have tacked it on to verse 22 the last verse in the paragraph and you've kind of made a point out of that that you have suffering and then you have glory Uh, jesus has been resurrected he's gone into heaven he's at the right hand of god he's in charge of angels authorities powers okay i get it but What about the middle part? Uh, What about those thorny words in the middle of the paragraph? Uh, I'm sure Mark was wondering uh, about that over there. Uh, Are you just going to ignore them? Are you just going to kind of pretend like they really don't have any meaning or that maybe we shouldn't even be worried about it? I mean, what kind of a preacher-teacher are you that you just kind of pick the spot you like and skip over the tough stuff? Thorny words here. Did you, did you notice them? I hope you did. Verse 19. It says, In which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. Now, who's the he? And who are those spirits in prison anyway? And when did he do that? And where is this prison, anyway? Did you hear that? There were four questions that came out of that one line. Verse 20, because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, Now, wait a minute, what what does Noah have to do? And and the flood, what does that have to do with suffering and glory? And, and, And why go back hundreds of years to pick up an illustration? The ark was being prepared, as you know, 120 years, in which few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water, we knew that the only uh, converts, quote unquote, that Noah had were his family, three sons and their wives, eight people total were saved, the rest were all drowned. But what does that have to do with the point? (laughs) But he's not quite done. He gets even stickier when he says baptism which corresponds to this, now saves you. What do you mean baptism saves? We are Baptists, but we don't believe that baptism saves. Do the waters of baptism wash away our sin? What does Peter mean when he says, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Of course, uh, baptism somehow corresponds to the flood of Noah's day when the whole world was deluged and drowned, wow. Baptism which corresponds to this now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. Well, it's not the physical water he seems to be saying, but that internal work of your conscience, there's a lot of questions here. And you could say to me, okay, Warren, um, are you just going to skip all that? Next Sunday. <laughs> Sunday, next Sunday is coming, the Lord willing and the creeks don't rise and we shall delve into all of that. Solve it all? Satisfy all of our understanding and curiosities? No. Give you my best opinion? Yes, we'll do that. But not today, next Sunday. Because I want you to be thinking about the main point, the main lesson. Christ suffered and then was glorified and you and I in this life as believers will suffer but ultimately we will be glorified with him. And it will be worth it all. So Heavenly Father, help us to uh, understand the major, to work toward the minor, and to serve you acceptably in the meantime. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.